I'm Carly Chardonnay Webb. And I'm Dawn Ennis. And you're listening to the Transporter Room. We're so happy and, you could be doing us. Yeah, we are happy. And I'll tell you a lot, a lot of interesting things going on this week. And and guess what? This okay. week is a this week is a Trump-free show. How great is that? Oh, I love Trump-free shows. Aren't we gonna have a lot of those starting January 20th? <laughs> I I can't wait. I can't wait until we don't have to say that word for a long, long time, if ever. If ever. Um, Let me just say this. I think that it's still scaring me that there are so many people who believe that he won, who refuse to accept that Biden won, who are going to make trouble. And I really worry about that trouble. I worry how it's going to manifest itself. I don't own a gun. I don't plan to buy a gun. And I do worry that there'll be parts of this country where people who do have guns may use them to try and force a different result than the one that the pol- the polls indicate should happen. Well, unfortunately, there's enough unhinged people out there where there's a possibility, but this is now the time when, especially right now, in this time of, in this special time of year, Hanukkah starts tomorrow night. Christmas is coming. Kwanzaa is coming. We're at a festive point in our year. And I have a feeling we could use a little bit of a little bit of festiveness, even if we have to do it socially distanced, even if we have to do it through Zoom. I think we should take this holiday season to heal. And I think we need to heal within ourselves. In a sense, don't worry about reaching out right now. Let us take our time to acknowledge our traumas, acknowledge our pain. And heal each other and solidify each other and be be of one accord with each other. And then we can fight the fights that need fighting in January. But right now, let's take the, I say, take this time to heal. And the thing, Carly, is that as we all get ready to gather for Christmas and New Year's, we shouldn't be gathering. I think that we're going to be seeing another huge spike thanks to all those Thanksgivings that people had. All those gatherings that the holidays are so full of, it's just not the year for that. I'm no, sorry. it isn't. We got to, okay, first you got to wear a mask. Second, you got to save your own air. Don't share your air. I mean, what is so hard about that? What's I, hard about it is, is that people, and this is not to make excuses for people, because I agree with you, but honestly, people just need to like, right now we need to just, just bite the bullet and realize we need to grow up as a country. Yeah, give it up. Just give yeah. it up for one year. So what? Oh, I can't not have Christmas. Oh, I can't not have church. Oh, I have to have my family. Yeah, you know what? You're going to put them in the grave. And every single day I hear another story about somebody dying or somebody getting sick. One story today was a guy who said he got his family angry at him because he didn't show up for Thanksgiving. And it turns out Uncle Bob had COVID and coughing all over everybody. Jeez. You know, let's bring up some good news. Carly, you and I had twin pieces in Outsports.com on Monday. We were talking about the Sports Illustrated Sports Persons of the Year, five so-called athlete activists. I think that's an interesting term. I think a lot of people would believe that, uh, you know, sports athletes should be focusing on their actions on the field. But more and more, 
athletes have become active outside of their courts and outside of their uh, stadiums. They are trying to make for change. And Sports Illustrated wanted to, you know, applaud that. Except they sort of they sort of stepped in it, didn't they? Well, I think that in really thinking about this, I think one, I res- I mean, I respect the decisions. I didn't honestly. I I agreed with just about none of them. Never mind the one that we that I wrote the article on. You didn't think the LeBron more, James was worthy. The more I, wrote, I think LeBron. No, I think LeBron is worthy, but. I think the picks overall were I really feel that Sports Illustrated and also in reading the in in reading the pieces and just reading and reading your piece especially I really believe that the editor in chief of Sports Illustrated and the editorial staff that made this decision I I charged them with lazy journalism I charged them with really not having their finger on the pulse and really missing the point of so much that's happened in the sports world especially since George Floyd was murdered. I really believe there, there was more reporting to be done. And I, I worry about this as a person who reads Sports Illustrated and a person who subscribes to it, that I'll tell you, if some of the old, if some of the stalwart writers of Sports Illustrated from like 25, 30 years ago, like the E.M. Swiss and the Frank DeFords were still alive and still writing, I think this would have gone down very different. I think it would have had a lot more gravitas than it does. I mean, I think LeBron is worthy, but I also think it's a little, for the most part, and think in some ways they went the easy way out instead of really digging for some digging for the stories. And for me, Breonna Stewart was an example of that. Now, this is not to disparage Stewie because I love me some Stewie, and Stewie has really has spoken out as one of those young stars in the future and, and to some, the future of the WNBA. And, and, and in many ways, I think she's a big piece of the future of the sport and the future of women's sports as a whole. I really felt that in a time when you had a two-time MVP of the league and one of the best players of the league take two years away at the prime of her career to get somebody out of prison, when you had one of the frontline players in this league also, as a union, as the president of the Players Union, helped craft probably the most forward-thinking, forward-reaching collective bargaining agreement in, agreement in all of professional sport. When you have people like Elisha Clarendon, who who is taking such a le- a day-to-day leadership role on the on the field and in those locker rooms and in that wobble. I think you have to look at that if you're really seriously looking at the activism point of it. And oh, even away from the article, if you're talking about athletes as activists in 2020, who has steered more of the conversation than Colin Kaepernick still has? Mm-hmm. And you well, don't acknowledge him? Well, the white savior trope that, yes. you know, white people see the um, – for fight for the fight for um, justice and criminal reform as a black problem, and any white person who is an ally of that is unfortunately viewed for a prism of, oh well, there's the leader right there because they're white. That's just a just a broken view, and it's really time for us to put the reward back into the hands of the people who earned it. 
I don't have any knock against Stewie either. I thought um, she did a great job in terms of allyship and in creating uh, new opportunities. But let's put the the medal on the chest of the persons who really earned it. I thought that Katie Barnes and a couple other people, they had a really good idea, which is they should have just given it to the whole WNBA. Laisha Clarendon said it too. The whole WNBA should have gotten that. That way you include the white folks. But, you know, that's just not how it worked out. I, I do want to say I've been through a lot of changes in management and lots of news companies. And the media industry has shrunk and de-evolved in many, many ways. But COVID-19 hit it really hard. And the industry is really struggling. The people who are currently at the top of Sports Illustrated's masthead are people who have been there for you know, since 1996. So it isn't like it's a newcomer. The company who owns them may be new, but this is a guy who knows sports and knows what is right and what is wrong. And I'm sorry, Mr. White guy, you gotta hire. I told you all this on the phone. You gotta hire some more people who don't look like you. You gotta have a more diverse staff. And I said this to you on the phone and you didn't listen. And here's the result. Yeah, but one thing to point out is that, granted, on that masthead, I'm not talking so much about the editorial people who are left. I'm talking about the people above them because the oh, fact of the matter is yeah. the people, the ultimately, the people that really have the power, the people that hold the purse strings. Yeah. I mean, and and when you're when you're laying off chunks of our editorial staff and your plans include bringing in non-paid stringers, and giving them Sports Illustrated bylines, I worry about that. I worry, I I worry about that as a journalist, but also I worry that about that from the standpoint that this isn't just some. I mean, this isn't just some storefront type of thing. This Sports Illustrated is an American journalism institution, and I'd hate to see that institution go the way that. Unfortunately, a lot of journalism institutions in our country are going. I mean, think think of the great newspapers in our country, which are now like think papers like the Cleveland Plain Dealer and the Detroit Free Press that are now running that are now running like weekly advertising circulars. I mean, they've oh, turned from yeah, these editorials. Editorials yes. are a way of making money. Yeah. Let's do full disclosure though. So I'm the managing editor of Outsports. And I'm sure it won't surprise you, Carly, to know that our parent company, Vox Media, and our direct supervisor company, SB Nation, allows us to publish stories that are unpaid, just like you're describing. But we don't fill our homepage with it. We don't fill our story account with unpaid contributions. But we have something called a fan post, where if a story is something that a fan feels really strongly about that we're not covering, they can write their own story and publish it on Outsports. And then we have the option, should we wish, of moving that to the homepage. It isn't up to them. It's up to us, up to me. We don't pay people for this. It isn't designed to be a moneymaker. It's designed to be a way of fans having a voice. Right. I don't like unpaid contributions. Uh, one of the most respected LGBT uh, news websites in the world doesn't pay for op-eds and solicits them frequently and you know i've written a couple of my own before i became a staffer there and i wish that we had a way of compensating people but that wasn't in the economic model so 
the media is changing. The question is, how will it change and not lose what's most important? It's got to change, but it can't lose everything that we hold dear. And that's and and I march lockstep with you on that. My biggest concern is that I don't I don't want to be at a point where there. I want to continue to see quality. I want to have the I want to continue to see quality fact based journalism move forward. I mean, don't get me wrong. Op eds are nice. Op eds are wonderful. I enjoy writing them from time to time. But the things that I enjoy most are the things I really enjoy the most. On I enjoy going out and actually covering stories and let and give a conduit for people to tell their stories. Well, you're That's a journalist, what I enjoy most. and it's yeah. why you, I always tell students who ask me about becoming a journalist, I tell them one thing, and I'm saying this because we're in finals week at University of Hartford, where I'm a professor in journalism. And I say this, I say, if you feel in your bones, in your heart, in your head, that you have to tell stories, then you should be a journalist. If you're just doing it to get your name in the paper, or your face on TV, or you think you have a really pretty voice, or a very great set of pipes and you want to be on the radio or on a podcast like this one don't just do it for the glory because there ain't none there's no mm-hmm. glory a lot of long hours and a lot of thankless nonsense i got an email tonight dear sir dear sir let me read it to you real quick here <laughs> your attack on tucker carlson is telling you and people like you are the problem the propaganda you and you are ilk spew especially when aimed at our children is not only troubling it's downright dangerous. This is because I wrote an article in which Tucker Carlson denounced and attacked transgender children and their parents and said that they were the ones that were dangerous, that transitioning a child is impossible because a child doesn't know its gender. I was four years old, just like the little girl in the story that Tucker Carlson showed on Tucker Carlson Tonight on Fox News, I knew what I was. Nobody believed me. This little girl has supportive parents. She's going to turn out okay. And for Tucker to go after her and her family is downright criminal. I started my article by saying it used to be that people like Tucker would be pulled off the air or worse in days of old. And I got to tell you, it was a hard piece to write because I just kept thinking of those poor kids. Those poor kids who felt targeted by this crazy man on TV. All I can say is there's a special place in hell for people like Tucker Carlson. Because I actually saw the show. Oh, yeah. And I saw the show. And by the way, to that, to that person that wrote you that note, you're right about Don Ennis. Don should somebody should be p- pinning a medal on Don for what she wrote. She told the truth. <laughs> oh, Don, as your colleague and as your friend, thank you. Thank you for standing up to Tucker Carl. It's horrible. A lot of people do not understand what, especially trans youth, are going through right now. No, we're being. They're being. We have our children are being and and. And right now, somewhere, there is, there's a cussing and fussing Monica Roberts looking down on us and giving the serious stink eye to Tucker Carlson. Because remember, the, the late Monica, the late great Monica Roberts and 
Monica Roberts rather, rather always defended the kids. All defend our younglings. She all would all, Monica Roberts would always say, defend our young younglings, defend trans youth. And what we have here is you've got you've got people attacking trans youth because this show on HBO, Transhood, deigns the show supportive parents. And just across the pond last week in the UK, there was a court decision which effectively banned affirming care for trans for, for youth under 16. And I and I know some some young people in the UK and their families who listen to our podcast, Don. And right now, they and the most heartbreaking thing in the world is seeing one of those parents text you rather to give you a tweet saying, now I have to go tell my daughter that we have to stop that that the gender clinic has to stop by law, has to stop her home hormone blockers. It's pretty sad. And, yeah. and, and and here's the thing. This isn't about trying to transition children. This is about trying to stop a problem, a real medical condition called gender dysphoria, that there's a very easy solution, transition. Puberty blockers, which are reversible, which are not harmful, which allow a child in the space they need to figure this out. If they determine that this is not for them, you just stop taking the puberty blockers. Life yes. is the normal. Oh, I feel for those people in Britain. And I, 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 I'm angry because I think unlike in America, where for the most part, the great majority of Americans support trans youth and trans adults, I think it's exact opposite in London, in England, in the UK, in Scotland, even in Northern Ireland, I still think that there are people who support us, but the great majority think of us as freaks, as perverts, as dressing up. And I just, I don't know what to do about those people. And it's the media's fault. It really is. They spread the lies. It's, it's just that we who, it's just that all of us together Trans people and our allies, we have to we have to stand together and we have to stick in the fight. We have to stick in it. We have to keep telling our stories. And part of that is visibility. We have to we have to keep showing up in the world. We have to go out in the world as much as difficult as it can be. We have to be out in the world to let people know that we're in the world. And in fact, uh, somebody who's living that right now is a guest on our is a guest on the podcast. I think we've got coordinates for Middletown, Connecticut. Let's beam up Christine Rebstock from a bowling alley near you. <laughs> Come on up. Energizing. Well, funny is I, I was just visiting one before I got home. So. <laughs> <laughs> well, we can track you from orbit. We, 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 we find all the bowling alleys that are trans accepting everywhere. You know, Christine, one of the story, one of the parts of the story that you told Carly that I just loved, I love Carly's tale of, you're coming out and your tournament. One of the things that I think will be a lot, be very familiar to almost all of our listeners who are transgender is that there came a time when you decided I've got to go someplace else where somebody doesn't know me and I've got to just be me and see what happens. And I think it's a very common experience to transgender folks where you take that first step out into the world, knowing that you might run into somebody, you know, but probably where you are, it's unlikely and you can be yourself without any pressure, without having to, you know, be out. You just be the woman you are. Or if you're a trans man, be the man you are. 
Tell us a little bit about that experience and where did you go? My first bowling experience as a woman, it was September of 2019. I went to Holiday Lanes in Manchester, a Duckton place, which unfortunately did not survive the, the COVID lockdowns. It closed permanently. I wanted to bowl, but I knew no one I knew would be there. And Duckton's is fun. It's more relaxing. And it was the only time I've ever been misgendered. Uh, when I paid for my sheet at the end of the practice session, the owner or whoever was working said, how'd it go, sir? Oh, miss, I'm sorry. And I said, that's okay. Don't worry about it. He was so apologetic. And I was going to leave to the car and call it a night. One of the league bowlers, a woman, said, hey, I think I know you from somewhere. Do you bowl this league? I go, no, I, I just came to open bowl, and she talked to me like she knew me for 20 years. <laughs> I go, you know, I think I could make it in the world. I think Christine's here. <laughs> what a feeling, right? What a feeling. Oh, yeah. And it's actually, you know, if people make the mistake and they're genuinely, sincerely apologetic, and they correct themselves or they accept your correction. I live with that okay. It's Oh yeah, that I means it was the same breath he corrected himself. Yeah. It's the people who won't either see the reason for saying sorry or they are just so ignorant that they don't understand why it would matter. That's what bothers me. Oh, I I concur with you totally, Dawn. I, look, I'm going to be 54 next month. I just came out publicly two, three weeks ago. It's going to take time for people. People are asking me how to, how I want to be addressed. And we have nicknames in the bowling world. We use the word mop, hoss. My nickname is Stoke. So I said Stokeette, Hossette, Moppet. All three of them work. <laughs> it's, you know, it's going to take a while for the people who have known me for 30, 35 years. Dress me in female pronouns right away. I understand that. But as long as everyone's cool about it, I have no problem. That's a little culture shock change. Now, one thing, have you, have you gotten a little... How was practice today? I didn't practice today. Um, hope tomorrow. We'll get back into it tomorrow. I tore my thumb open a bit. Just another day to, to get the, uh, the cut down manageable so we'll get back but uh, thank you for that video on youtube i i know what i have to work on i my, i don't have enough knee bend uh 53 years old uh that's hard to do nowadays so definitely gave me something to work on i appreciate that how, how important was it for you to bowl that tournament that day i mean granted small tournament maybe a little bit of money on the little bit of money on the nine it was a line it was a nine draw tournament how important was it for you to show up on Thanksgiving morning with your bowling balls in hand, ready to play? It was a new beginning. They had a similar tournament in late, in late October, which I had won. And when I left, I go, I knew that it was going to be the last time I'd bowl was Christopher Lewis. And they had a similar no-tap tournament at Wilkett Lanes down the road, which I've had great success at, but for this first one, I wanted to be at Lakewood where I was my last with Christopher Lewis. 
I wanted that to be my first one is Christine Lee. And now, that's how I chose with Lanes on Thanksgiving. Now, as far as that tournament, you were disappointed in finishing out of the money. Um, oh, still bothered about it because I was stupid. I didn't make the move on that right lane. That killed me. I mean, in a sense, how I mean, how does that sort of enhance the how's that sort of how does that affect your transition knowing that even with all the things swirling around you coming out, coming out publicly and showing up for the tournament that the competitive fire was still there? Oh, absolutely. No, you you don't lose that. I realized that hasn't changed. I mean, I could still grouse about missing cuts from 10, 20 years ago, and I'm still grousing about them once Thanksgiving. That the transition hasn't changed. That that competitive fire is still there. Now it's rekindled. I could say it has been rekindled since I came out. It just makes me focus harder to focus and get work harder to try to be successful next time. Christine, I think a lot of casual listeners recognize that it's a fun experience to go bowling. Well, in the pre-COVID times, maybe. And, you know, they would gather their friends or maybe they would take their kids. But you said to Carly that you'd go out and you'd bowl for money to replace a radiator in the car. Or you'd bring home some bacon because that would be a real money earner. Tell us a little bit about the, the money side of bowling. Well, this past tournament, the no tap had a $30 entry fee, which is small. And they had a high game pot. It was an extra $10 and a high series pot for another 10. So that was, I was in for $50 and it was $500 on top. And I expected to do well because I wanted a fund that was going to use that money to um, use that money for my name change. And also a new pair of female glasses that day, because I, I was stupid. I, I didn't, cash so I lost my money. I lost that fifty dollars out instead of making money. My bowl tournaments where it was a thousand dollars to enter out in Vegas years ago. My biggest tournament win was in November nineteen ninety seven at Olympic Bowl in Rochester, a center which was torn down twelve years ago. It was a one day tournament, a great field. It was a three hundred dollar entry fee and I won it and it was $12,000 on top. That was a nice one-day pay. One of my, that was my biggest one-day, one-tournament earnings I ever had. And when we bowl, we have to pay our own entry. We have to pay our own hotel. We have to pay our own gas. We have to pay for our own food. We're not guaranteed anything. The only thing we're guaranteed is we're going to pay the bowl, and we're going to get irritated doing it. <laughs> <laughs> And that did, and that realized that never changed when I went back last night a week and a half ago, almost two weeks ago. That part's still there. <laughs> now, you're already planning the next. You're already planning your next tournament. Uh, you, you, you had stated oh, yeah. that you're that you're looking toward. You're looking forward to competing in a doubles tournament in a, in a few weeks' time, and starting next year, coronavirus permitting. In a sense, you're going to be kind of at least dipping your toe in the waters of the regional tours again. 
Uh, yes, hopefully, if, as long as I have the money to enter, I will be, as long as I'm sharp and I have the money to enter, I'll be there. Hopefully, our first Grand Masters tournament, which is a age 50 and over bowling club, they run in Long Island, and they also have a New Jersey division. Hopefully, they'll start their season up. We received an email. They're planning to go forward with both divisions. And once I learn where the tournament is, I, I can't wait to get out there again. I want to compete. I want to be a threat to win. <laughs> Christine, are there differences in terms of how a woman bowls compared to how a man bowls? No. Maybe in a different lane condition. If you had a lane condition that has a long oil lane, like 45 feet of the 60 down the lane and a high oil volume, would you need a high rev rate? Maybe the male bowler will have an advantage, but you don't, for for our non-professional level, we don't really see those patterns. So, no, a lot of women do well. I think the women have, the younger women I see their games are more fundamentally sound. They repeat shots better. They keep the ball in front of them. They rarely make mistakes. I mean, they're a tough group to beat. And they're smart on how to play the lanes, whereas some of the younger guys, they want to go inside and, and hook the ball too much, where the woman, the young woman, they know what to do, they know where to play, and they're pretty accurate. They don't make mistakes. They beat themselves. You've been decorated throughout your career as a bowler. and You belong to the County Hall of Fame. You belong to the Central Connecticut USBC Hall of Fame. You inv- you belong you are a member of the state United States Bowling Congress Hall of Fame and you were in the New England Bowling Association's Hall of Fame's inaugural class. You have had success. Well, I've got lucky a few times throughout the years. I'll we'll put it that way. <laughs> and you and we can even go farther back. You were part of a team that won a collegiate national championship. How has bowling how has bowling influenced your journey, and how has your journey influenced your bowling? Bowling helped, I think, kept Christine inside me because I had some success early on. I was, you know, I knew she was always in there for going back to maybe when I was 12, 13, way back in the late 70s. <laughs> so the more I got focused on bowling, and I had some success and wanted to keep working at it. And I compromised who I really was for so long. And then as I got older, bowling started to decline for me. The game has changed, not for the better, in my opinion. Technology has not embraced bowling well. And maybe that's when... Christine saw an opening last year, about a year and a half ago, when I decided to address her. And now that I did, my passion for life is back. My passion to compete is back. And my passion to be of a positive asset, not only for us and our trans community, but for all 340 million of us is back. And I figure if I could bowl well and maybe have some success, maybe it'll help someone else who maybe struggling with coming out. And that's why I think I could maybe help. I'll do anything to help. 
I'd like to know, Christine, how's your transition going at home, at work, and at church? We're doing a lot better at home. Uh, we made we made some compromises, but they're all it's all working out great. At work, I just go to work without my wig and makeup for now. But it's home. But I only work thirty hours a week, so that that's not a problem. It's when I get home, I'm able to the true my true self is known to the world, so that's good. And I go to M- Metropolitan Community Church. The first time I was there during the TDOR ceremony in 2019, when as soon as I walked in, Pastor Miller, he came up and introduced himself to me. He welcomed me like I was one of the family. And so they've been great. And I've been to a few masses. Unfortunately, the Zoom way in me, I, I haven't really adapted well, but I, I actually attended one of their board meetings back in January. I mean, the, they're a great, a great bunch of people there. You know, it's like a it's a home we feel welcome to go there too. And I can't thank them enough for for all they've accepted me in open arms. We're hearing that sound, which means we got to take a break, pay a few bills. But when we come back, we're going to look at the decision. What led Christine Redstock to come out, and then come out with a bowling ball in hand, ready to play. This is the Transporter Room. We'll be back. And we're back. You're in the Transporter Room. Carly Webb joins me. I'm Dawn Ennis. In the Transporter Room this week, we're honored to have Christine Rebstock, who is a newbie. She just came out. It's a very recent memory, Christine, so... Tell us all about how did you decide and how did it work out that you would come out publicly to the people who know you? Well, when I very first appeared, Christine was in July of 2019. And then as I progressed, I went seeing my first endocrinologist appointment was almost a year ago and I started HRT on New Year's Eve. And as the summer progressed, I enrolled in a Middlesex Health voice therapy class. It was once a week starting in June, and it was supposed to end in the end of October. I graduated that right after Labor Day, and that gave me extra confidence to be out in the world. And at that point, I wanted to transition full-time. It was the Pride event at New Haven. They had the outdoor Pride ceremony. I kind of kickstarted things too. On the way home, Bolero Wallingford is on Route 5, the same road as the North Haven Fairgrounds. And there was a bowling tournament going on. I had no plans to bowl, but I wanted it'd been nice to stop in and say hi to some people. But I wasn't out to anyone in the bowling world yet. And I wanted to go and say hi, but that wasn't going that decided that wouldn't be the first time I didn't want to spring Christine on people there. And then we made a compromise of my spouse. She's been great. And that's when I came out publicly like three weeks ago. And I wanted to come out publicly on my page to take the element of surprise away from people. And I've just been besieged by support. It's so overwhelming. 
I mean, I still get messages even today. I mean, I've cried so much, but they've all been happy tears. I've had the Holy Trinity of bowling at one point growing up in the 70s with the late Earl Anthony, the great Mark Roth, and Marshall Holman. And Marshall Holman was one of the first people to respond to me when I came out publicly on Facebook. He left a very supportive message. I, I, I was stunned. I still am. There were some others as well. Oh, yeah. I mean, there were some others as well. I remember Brian Bogosian, who's considered one of the greatest bowlers ever come from New England, considered one of the top 10 bowlers who never held a PBA tour card. Well, he got his card recently when he um, joined the ball staff. But, yes, he, regardless of not, yes, he's a past Masters champion, all-time great. But I told him, because we were running tournaments together, so I told him in, like, September 2019, and he was really cool about it. In fact, I had a um, computer program, so I met him, and he took his older daughter. We met at Chuck E. Cheese in Newington, and he met Christine for the first time then. And he was really he was really great about it. In fact, all the friends I came out to were. That, that helped out a lot. But I never expected the groundswell support I've got from the entire bowling community. Uh, I'm speechless. I, 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 I still can't believe it. What does it mean for you, especially for, I want to take you way back. I mean, I want to take it back to when you were a freshman at Erie Community College in <laughs> New York, wow. 1986. Sure. And you had a teammate named Brad Kazuski. Oh, Zooks and you won a national championship together. And I remember on your, on your, on your social media, when you came out and I want to touch on that as well, he gave you a thumbs up. What did it mean for, for you to get that from someone who is, who comes from that far back in your history? And as an extension, what led you to come out as publicly as you did? You you laid your story out there on your social media. You just laid it out there. Well, for for Brad, that was all that. And I was really heartwarming. That was very nice for Brad to do that. Brad could do a great impersonation of the late Milt Ellis. He was the public address announcer for the Buffalo Sabres. He did Milt better than Milt was. So we'd always, always on our tournament trips, we'd get him to do impersonations, you know, announcing, you know, the Buffalo goals and all that stuff. And he was also good at impersonating Nelson Burton Jr., who was the ABC color analyst on the Pro Bowlers Tour telecast. So I mentioned that too. And when I came out, I was, I used to be a reporter. I did a column, an American Hockey League column for the American Record Journal. I covered the New Haven Senators for the Bridgeport Post. I did a bowling column for the New Haven Register. I also got asked to cover select high school games. So I've covered major league sporting events as a member of the media, and I competed them as a bowler. Final thing or two about the public spotlight. When I told my story, I'm not going to hold back. I'm going to lay it out, lay the cards out on the table, and let everyone know. I, you know, I have nothing to hide. And if I could tell my story, people could read it, and there'll be less questions 
if I run into people. Give them a heads up on what my story was so they'll know more when they see me again. Christine, one of the darker parts of your story was, like Carly, like me, there came a time where you thought you couldn't go on. Yeah, and, that was... Um, and you took an opportunity to check out, which didn't turn out the way you thought. I want people at home to understand that there are alternatives and that all of us stand here as survivors knowing that it doesn't have to be the end. But would you share that story with us? Yeah, that was in June, just about a year and a half ago. And the house is empty, totally empty, and I went down to the garage. The garage door is shut, and I started the car and tried to let the CO fumes get me and end it all. I didn't know it would take a long time to do it. I thought it was a quick process, and I wanted it done by the time uh, my spouse and the dog would get back in the vet. I didn't want her to see me in the act of doing it. It was taking a while, that's why I, I aborted it. If it was a quick process, I wouldn't be here to tell this story. And I don't want anyone else in our community ever go through anything like that again. I don't want to, I want, I don't want that anyone to be in that 40% that we were in. That's why I'm kind of driven to help bowling. Maybe if I could bowl good, help people so they'll never be in that situation. Life's short. We only get one crack at it. We got to make the best of it. It's true. And here's the thing. People don't understand the desperation and the illogic of trying to end your life. It's because you get tunnel vision. You can't see a possible solution. It can't get any better. It's just going to get worse. And the truth is that it may not get better today. And it may not get better tomorrow. But it can't stay the way it is. It will get better. And life has gotten better for you, Christine. Gotten better for Carly. It's gotten better for me. I'm so much happier. Uh, do I miss my big six-figure income? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yeah. Oh, but I'm a, I'm a happier woman. Well, you two women are, I aspire, you are role models in the community. And Carly said something to me which meant the world to me. When we did the TDR speech gathering theater a couple weeks ago, Pastor Miller let me make a speech, but at eight minutes it was way too long for the program. And I posted it on our pages throughout. And uh, Carly, you're nice enough to compliment, compliment me on it. it. It may not be the most eloquent speech, but it came right from my heart. And you two are role models, and I wanted, that's one way I wanted to try to help. And thank you so much for those kind well, we, words. We were both online with you, and uh, we've had conversations about that particular incident. I don't want to get into any, uh, any no, stuff. No, that's here, right. But, but let me just say this. Let me just say this. I'm sorry that I didn't get a chance to hear your speech. And now that I know where to find it, I'm going to watch. Look, uh, everyone else's speeches were like two or three minutes. Mine was long, so it's okay. 
I mean, that, that's tough to do uh, on a Zoom meeting the way it was. It, it was put together well. Everyone spoke well. But Dawn, you and Carly, are, you are role models in the community. And it's just an honor to be talking to both of you in a forum like this. I don't know. I would say the same about you, especially being there on Thanksgiving morning at that tournament. And it was it was just something to see, even, even if you you felt you didn't perform your best, just getting just just having the privilege of being a part and telling this story and having the opportunity to tell your story meant a lot to me. And there was something, there's something you've said, you said often that you want to be a factor. Yeah. You want to be, I don't, you want to be a factor because you believe you, if you're, if you're in there in the hunt and in a stepladder final and people see it, there could be that one person. How much does that how much does that thought drive you, for example, when you go out to the lanes after a day of work and practice? It's my total drive. You don't want to waste money, you don't want to spend your entry fee and lose it all. But I have a little more I realize now I have more, a lot more writing on it. If I could do well, I think maybe I could help someone in the community. And that's my one of my new lease on life. Like I said, yes, if I could do well, maybe some tournaments are webcast. Lucky I could win one and be interviewed would be great. If someone videos it too, if I do well. Someone could see, hey, there's a woman in our community doing well. If she could do it, I could do something in my career, in my career if I come out. And that makes the world a better place. Your story remains one of our most popular stories. Carly told me she was just in tears writing it because it's such an emotional journey. And we thank you for sharing it with us. I have one last question for me, at least. What's next for you? Do you plan on transitioning at work? Do you, do you think that there's uh, bigger roads ahead in terms of bowling? What's next? At work, we'll take them. We'll take things the way they go. I'm not in a rush at work. I mean... In agreement, I'm out publicly to the world. I, you know, I'm focused on bowling. I want when tournaments resume and we get back to the normal schedule. I gotta practice. I gotta be sharp. I gotta be ready. That's all my lot of my focus. But <laughs> I gotta focus on uh, somebody attire. <laughs> you know, I gotta get more sports than that. <laughs> get the, the the clothing. Might have a site. My bowling ball fit, I was measured two years ago, and I was like 40 pounds ago, so I'm having trouble with my thumb hole. So I got to take care of this stuff first. Yeah, well, these are day when I come out full-time at work. I'm sure there will be, but I'm, I'm not in a rush for that. I'm, I'm in a good place at home. My wife, she's been great. I can't thank her enough. We're, we're in a good place. Now you're in a, you're in a good place. I mean, we expect to see you hey hitting the hitting the lanes in the in the weeks and months ahead. But a last question for you is in a sense, I want you to go back. Okay. Because you speak on this that 
even though it's out now and you've taken you've grabbed it and you've taken the opportunity, there was an opportunity that even to this day you think and say it was an opportunity in a sense made made, but also an opportunity missed. Senior year, <laughs> Thanksgiving Day game, yes. the night before the powder puff game, and that is when Christine made the world debut. I think our listeners would love that story. Ah, uh, yes. Well, for those that don't know, the Powder Puff football game is when the girls play flag football. And here in the Northeast, Thanksgiving Day high school rivalry games are standard. And so obviously the girls will play during that Thanksgiving week, so they need the boys to be cheerleaders. And I got asked to be one of them. We actually practice like twice a week doing cheers. Parents, we learned the pom-poms. Our dress code, when I went to Maloney, we wore a white sweater and we wore a skirt from the girls' field hockey team. And one of the girls made us all green M's to pin on our sweaters that day. So it came time on how we're going to present. We're going to decide we're going to do all for one and one for all. And we're going to vote whether to be all girly. We're going to do shave our bodies, uh, hair, makeup, clip on earrings, the whole works. And we voted not to do that. We voted just wear a wig and no makeup, no nails, anything like that. That kind of, that kind of haunts me. I, I wish I just broke ranks and want to do what I want to do on that. Maybe Christine would have been leashed out from the get-go then. <laughs> but all I could tell you was that night was snowing during the game, so I realized how why women wear pants in the winter. But you're right, that's an opportunity I think was lost. <laughs> but now it's gained back, though. Well, now you get to live this way every day, and we couldn't be happier for you. Agreed. All right, Christine, we're sending you back, not through the gutter ball, <laughs> but a strike right to Middletown, <laughs> a direct shot. Well, have a, thank you, ladies. Have a great night. And we'll be having you back. I hope you'll come back oh, yeah. and let us know how oh, things I go. I appreciate it. Yes, I, anytime, but let me know. I'm all in. Thank you. Especially thank if you. You win a t- when you win a tournament. We're going to definitely have you back. Oh, yeah. Oh. That sounds good. From your lips to God's ears. (laughs) Energizing. Send them back down to Middletown, Connecticut. Thank you, Christine. Sure. Dawn, this writing that left me in tears. I know. The tears were in the paper. (laughs) The tears were in the article. I could could read it. There's so much. And there is... to me, the people who, if you're unsure about what this is all about and the journey that people take, or if you are those who tend, who think that, who tend to take that kind of that stance of dehumanization, I ask you to read that article. I ask you to read that story. I ask you to look at other people's stories. I ask you to open your heart. Because underneath, see, that's, I'll tell you, writing that story 
really led me to do some soul searching, Dawn. And awesome. because it gave me a moment, it gave me a moment to look at the human side of who we are. Because at times we get so caught up in the quote unquote debate. And we get so caught up in defending our existence that we forget there's one, and sometimes we forget one, there's nothing to defend, and number two, our basic simple humanity. And one of my goals as a reporter going forward is to continue to tell more stories like that. Because that to me moves the needle as much as we do when we have to hold the line against people like Tucker Carlson, when we affirm our humanity and we affirm each other's humanity. That's the thing that led me to do that. That's what kind of led me to do a lot of soul searching was being in that bowling alley that morning and just seeing even through, you know, the concentration and the focus, the joy, there was so much joy. And I'll tell you, there was a lot of people in that bowling alley that day. It was a decent-sized crowd. But people would come up to Christine and say, congratulations. And on, and if you just went on Looks Alone, you were thinking, okay, bowling alley, probably not the most accepting crowd, but there was not a single, not, n- never was heard a discouraging word that morning. People would come up to Christine and go, hey, I read, a, I read, your, I read your social media post. Congratulations, congratulations. I'm I'm proud of you. We're here for you. That bowling community on that morning, so many people came up. And to me, that's it was the most human, most it was the most real, genuine, and human thing. And thing. going Here's forward, I want to tell more of those stories. I want I want you to because it's because we tell these stories that she wasn't booed or booted or beaten up, or dragged out of that alley. The point is, is that the more we tell stories like Christine's, the more people like Christine come out. Courage is contagious. And people want to be part of something good, and something happy. And it's nice. And it's wonderful. And I'm so excited that she could have that coming out in all places, a bowling alley. Because, like you said, you know, a few years ago, she might have been laughed out of there. You might have had a run for your life, Carly. And instead, instead, she was embraced. And you were just another woman making pictures. <laughs> yeah. That, and see, that's the thing. And I, at the time, I didn't even think about that. At the yeah. time, I was, I was a journalist doing a job. And that's right. I'm a journalist doing, I'm a journalist doing a job. But that's one of the things that, that did it for me as I was writing her story was that there's a lot of parallels between her story and my own. Mm-hmm. And also just realizing that for me, that was me going out and do the job. I'll tell you, when I have the opportunity to go out and cover a story, now it means so much more now than it ever did before. Because mm-hmm. now it's not this caricature of me doing that. It's me doing that. And that's the Love intrinsic it. value of our humanity. I mean, in a sense, that's why that's why we decide to move forward. That's why we decided to say, no, we're not going to end our lives. We're going to we're not going to end our lives. We're going to enhance them and make them better. That's why we do what we do. Exactly. Um, I have to ask you, did you wear bowling shoes? 
because that was I, my father's big, big bugaboo that if you went bowling or was visiting a bowling alley and didn't wear the shoes on the, uh, on the, uh, you know, the area where all the bowlers are, he'd yell at you. <laughs> well, I see you, you're not allowed to do that. That's an etiquette thing. It's an exactly. etiquette thing, but also it's a safety thing. And it's also decrease, and it also decreases wear and tear on the lane. So no, I got bowling shoes. Good for you. Because I had to go into I had to go into the hardwood to, hey, to get the to get the shots and to get the pictures. Get the good shots, exactly. And, exactly. And I will and I will say this right now. I want to make it a little bit of an announcement. The Christine story is not done. Because yeah. I've I've called some places, got gotten some other footage together. And since I videoed a lot of it, I'm I'm going to make a short film of it. Ooh. I've decided to make a short film out of it because this was something that I mean, this is special, and this is something I think a lot people need to see. And I think, in a sense, again, when you look at things like this, or look at things like Transhood, the the HBO documentary series that's on right now. Anytime we can humanize, we need to we need to continue to you. We need to show a human face. We need to continue to show that face as much as we can. Yes, we got to cover the big issues. But as much as we can, also we got to tell a Christine Jones. We got to tell the Christine Rebstock story. We got to tell the Bobby Jones story. Mm-hmm. We got to tell these these little stories every day. Yeah, they may not be the big names, but this is what this this is what this this is what this struggle for human rights at its core is about. It's not about it's not about these big laws and legal battles. Ultimately, it's just about people wanting to live their lives and live them abundantly. That's all it is. Well, I can't say that your movie will be more popular than Big Lebowski, but I'll watch it. <laughs> this is not uh, this is bowling. It's not Vietnam. <laughs> okay, <laughs> Donnie. So I'll tell you, I got a sneak peek of this week's Star Trek Discovery. Uh, the new episode is coming on streaming on CBS All Access Thursday morning. This is the part of the show where if you don't want to know the spoilers, this is your warning, black alert. Mm-hmm. It's time for you to either hit mute or dump out of the podcast. And if you do want to hear a spoiler, here it comes. Carly, this week on Star Trek Discovery, we're going back to the mirror universe. Oh. Ooh. Okay, <laughs> that's gonna get now that's gonna get real interesting. See. Just when you think, just when you think the newest generation of Star Trek can't get any wilder, here it is. The only other spoiler I'll give you is this: one of the main characters has a huge, dramatic death scene. So there is spoilers for this week. I'm lining up an interview with one of the cast members. I don't want to give that away, but that will be in Forbes.com later this week, and I'm very excited to. Uh, have this special relationship with CBS that they're allowing me to tell these stories and to um, talk to the stars so that folks at home can learn a little bit about all of our favorite actors and characters. Well, well, I appreciate that you have that access too. This is some interesting stuff. Yeah. Okay. So in other words, the mirror universe makes a comeback. (laughs) And with that, I say, Live long and prosper. Carly, it's been another fun adventure. Uh, Let's regroup and return to orbit next week with a new episode of The Transporter Room. Steady as she goes. 
See you next week, everybody.